everybody, welcome back to another episode of Creative Contact. I've got a special guest in the building today. Um, this is a podcast that I've actually wanted to do for quite some time, so I'm so stoked that we were actually able to sit down and do this. Um, this is a gentleman that I met out here in Chiang Mai pretty quickly after I moved. And this dude, if you're out here and you know him, he's just got a good energy. Good energy and a dope beard. Now, so I've got, I've got a little bit of competition, but um, for the folks sleeping on you, Jay, tell people a little bit about um, who you are, what's your name, and what, what you're doing out here. Mm. So, uh, hello, my name is Jeremy Lipkowitz, and uh, so I teach meditation here in Chiang Mai, and I've been teaching kind of around the world in different places, a bit in North Carolina, a bit in Bangkok, and now I'm staying in Chiang Mai teaching here. And I mostly teach mindfulness meditation with a really kind of scientific or secular bent. So not mm. not super spiritual, um, not very woo-woo, just a very down-to-earth kind of pragmatic approach. Yeah. And that's something I want to dig into as we get into it later, sort of how you stumbled upon that. Because I think that's something, too, that resonated with me a lot um, from your energy. Because mm-hmm. I, I am very into that stuff, but... Oftentimes it can, I think I'm, I'm in that sort of your target market of mm-hmm. like folks that are like, I'm really into sometimes the, the being mindful or grateful or, or appreciating certain things, but it can sometimes wade too far into the hippy dippy yeah. kind of stuff where it's like you, I think there is a very pragmatic, practical approach for you. That's like real life is still hard and shit goes wrong. So it's not always perfect, but that just having this practice can still help you kind of like try to be a sane human as much as possible yeah yeah and you don't have to you know join any special cult yeah. you don't have to buy any <laughs> that's part of it crystals. too yes like, exactly you don't have to align your <laughs> yeah. chakra if you don't want to if you want a messy chakra that's okay um, exactly you can man just be yourself just like be a normal person yes and clean your mind and you know live a good life it can become too many steps i have to have the crystals i have right. to be howling at the moon it's like all these things i'm like i'm just still a regular person so yeah. it's cool that that um, spoke to me. Mm. Um, so let's take it back a little bit before even the um, the meditation and stuff because you've had quite. I was thinking about this earlier, and I was doing some research, quote uh-huh. unquote, just stalking you pretty hard yeah. online. <laughs> um, I feel like this is almost like your third stage of life, kind of like you've uh-huh. almost had these. Um, I don't know these sort of like reinventions or, yeah. or, or reimaginings of who you are, even your your aesthetic personally mm-hmm. how you look has changed throughout mm-hmm. all of them too mm-hmm. um but let's take it back for folks myself included too yeah are you originally from santa cruz it gets a little complicated okay um you could kind of say i'm from santa cruz but i would say more i grew up in santa cruz okay because i was actually born in san francisco in a place called daily city which ah. if you're from the bay area if you're from san francisco you might know where Daly City is. It's just south of San Francisco. Okay. And then when I was three, my parents got divorced, and my mom moved to Santa Cruz and started school. And so I grew up in Santa Cruz. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so um, if people say, hey, where are you from? Do you claim Santa Cruz or do you claim San Francisco? Yeah, it's always like a question of how deep I want to get into it. <laughs> yeah. Usually I just say I'm from the Bay Area. Okay, cool. Um, that makes it easy. After Santa Cruz, I even moved back to near Berkeley 
And so I've kind of lived in Santa Cruz, lived in Berkeley, kind of born in San Francisco. Uh, and so I'm really from the Bay Area in a lot of different ways. Okay, you're a Cali kid. Yeah, Northern in, California. In Northern Cali. And for all the associations that go with it, all that sort of stuff, do you feel like you you fit kind of comfortably into that, um, that North Cali uh, vibe? I definitely fit the demographic. Like yeah. A little hippie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but also kind of yuppie in certain ways. Yeah. And, um, but I also, I've never really felt like I belonged in the U.S. And it's not that I feel like I belong to some other country, but I just, I, I don't really associate with the U.S. or with California very strongly. So I don't have a, a deep sense of identity. I, that's really interesting. Something we could even touch on later that I'm really diving into too, is that sort of sometimes that sense of identity. And, and I've always been envious of a way of certain people that are like, from a city, especially something into hip hop, mm. that's like mm. so. It's like what 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 city yeah. you playing? You know yeah. what I mean? Where do you rep exactly. Them? It's like Drake is like that's Toronto. Right. You're like, and you hold it. If you're like Fifty Cent, it's like New York. I mean, it's like you have the rapper and the city they're from is so it's so entwined. Yeah, yeah. That for and I feel you. I've always been like I've never. Like I'm from New York, mm -hmm. but not from the city, so I can't mm -hmm. claim New York. Really, mm -hmm. I'm from the weird upstate, but I've never really felt like a country kid. So that sense of identity. I think is really interesting. And speaking of your, your parents' divorce at, it happened when you were three, yeah. you said yeah. at three, are you at that point then shuttling often between mom and dad's place? It was shuttling, but not, uh, it wasn't split 50, 50. Okay. So basically we stayed with my mom. My mom got custody and mm. we would go to my dad's house every other weekend just for a little bit. So okay. just on the weekends. Because I was going to say, nothing would be more confusing or sense of identity than shuttling yeah, back and yeah. forth. You know, as you're like, where am I really? You yeah. know, you have these friends and you have like the weird friends at dad's house that yeah. you have once in a blue. Well, it even, goes even deeper than just shuttling because they were very different people. Uh, my dad is a sort of, you know, very religious, fundamentalist Christian. Oh. And so his household was very much in that style. And then my mom, when she divorced him, uh, went back to school and became a scientist and is very oh, much like man. hardcore kind of atheist agnostic scientist. Dude, that makes so much sense for you because yeah. I feel like that that now that is telling us that's starting to tell the story in itself because you've right. got the the almost um, the two split sides mm. that you've kind of married in a way mm -hmm. in your in your own mindfulness practice that yeah. has this sort of like it is spiritual but it has like very based in this this world yeah you yeah, know yeah. oh wow okay so touching that a little bit do you have siblings by the way yeah i have a twin sister and an older sister identical twin so technically you can't be an identical twin if you're boy and girl genetically oh. it just doesn't work out you know like they wouldn't she would need a penis yeah, yeah, yeah. and i would need some breasts <laughs> some and, extra some extra some extra package bits. yeah because yeah. so, when you're an identical twin genetically you are a clone you're the exact same genetic makeup uh -huh. when you have an identical twin it's like you study genetics or something. It's something like that, it's, yeah. <laughs> you must be really into yeah, this. Yeah, we'll get to that part later. Um, oh, you, must, you must like science. It yeah, seems yeah. like you're, you're a science guy. Yeah. Okay, so you have uh, a twin yeah. and the one older sister. Mm -hmm. Are you all... Or do you even know what's going on at this point? I mean, you're three. Do you realize mm, something weird is happening? Or are you just kind of grow up thinking this is life? I see dad once in a blue moon and yeah. keep moving. I was always a very simple kid and very um, kind of easy, you know, so I just kind of 
not very temperamental. Oh, cool. Uh, so I, I was kind of fine with it. I think my sister took it harder. Um, older? Older sister? Well, older. my older sister also took it harder, but my, because she, she was older. She was maybe she six knows or what's seven going at on. the time. Yeah. yeah. And then my twin sister also took it harder. Um, but for me, you know, it didn't affect me too much. And, okay. Yeah. And what is young Jeremy like growing up in Santa Cruz? Like, I feel like I'm, I'm yeah. meeting you in kind of like closer to your final form. Like you like, yeah. this is like the Charizard version. Right, right. I want to like. You want to know the Charmander. I, I, yes. Help me with the Charmander. Yeah. We're just starting oh, out. The, yeah, then Ch- Charmeleon yes. comes after yes, that. Yes, yes. Okay. No, listen, I'm going to, if you're into Pokemon, I'll hit all oh, the Oh, I was. I was like that okay. Game Boy <laughs> Dude, no. version. Listen. Yeah. Okay, we can write out on some of that shit. Because um, I, I remember <laughs> that too. It's real spiritual now. Real spiritual. Yeah, we're going to talk um, about our favorite Pokemon. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Pokemon? I haven't thought about it in so long. Uh-huh. But the fact that you mentioned that, I, I remember, I can still remember so vividly my first Game Boy Color and Pokemon Red version. Uh-huh. And maybe that's why I joke about it now because it is that whole Charmander, Charizard, whatever thing yeah. re- really stuck with me. And thinking of evolving and mm-hmm. things of that nature um even when i was doing my quote-unquote research on you it seemed like there was like you like you just had these different mm. really different periods of who you are yeah. even yeah. and so you, you've always kind of had i guess though this calmness about you but mm-hmm. like you said you're easygoing even as a youngster in mm-hmm. santa cruz are you like a big skater like i only know stereotypes mm-hmm. about cali mm-hmm. kind of what are you kind of doing you know at, yeah. is it your middle school what's middle school jeremy like for me wow middle school jeremy um so that that goes back when i i really didn't have much of of a sense of identity or purpose at all and i was actually teased a lot as a kid in middle school mm. um i went through I, I had this experience where i ended up getting poison oak in my eye when i was around fifth or sixth grade and it was so bad like, i got this huge inflammation and my whole face was swollen oh i looked like quasimodo <laughs> but actually my mom was gone at the time when she came back and she saw me at the door she actually shrieked with fear uh, she was like oh my god and uh so i had to take steroids for that uh, and it, I ended up gaining some weight when oh, I was around fifth or sixth man. grade. So, so I got teased a bit in middle school and was kind of just a very shy and I had friends, you know, I was very social, but, uh, I just played video games and soccer and you know, I was kind of a normal kid. Yeah. Nothing too crazy. No, no. I, yeah. uh, I feel like I was, I'm, I fuck with that soccer and video games, man. Yeah. I can get down with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Any particular game you were fond of? I was more the like strategy games, so uh, things like Warcraft. Oh, not not like the World of Warcraft. No, no, but the, you know Warcraft, Warcraft three. Two, oh, Warcraft two, three. three. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What was your Starcraft, race? Starcraft. Starcraft. Well, more Warcraft. I was really big into Warcraft. Okay. Yeah, I, I just love strategy games, like thinking about you know building a civilization, and it turned my mind yes. on in a great way. I I I played so much Warcraft three and Starcraft growing. I was thinking yeah. about that the other day. Um, were you humans, elves, orcs? Do I you remember? Them all. Yeah. See, you were good I mean, at that I, shit. I, I had I had to buckle. I could only stick yeah. with one, and then for me, what I loved, I mean, I loved the story just as much as playing the game. Like I've always been into, you know, science fiction and fantasy. Mm. And, so, yeah. so uh, we grew up kind of in that same generation, I think. Then mm-hmm. um, with computer games, things like that. Before there was always this huge online presence, mm-hmm. and so you kind of. Ha- the stories may 
they really had to be good stories because you were playing these solo so mm-hmm. often, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I was a really avid gamer too growing yeah. up sort of in that um, that time. And it's be- before internet was crazy fast and you had mm-hmm. all this, you know, everything there. Um, do you remember as you're growing up and sort of the internet's developing, were you the type of guy that would spend a lot of time in like AIM chat rooms or were you the type of guy that was like more like outside, like on bikes with his friends like what what was kind of your vibe hmm that's a good question i i wouldn't say i spent a lot of time on chat rooms i mean there was definitely a phase where aol chat rooms were were getting big and and i remember that but i I wouldn't say it was a big part of my life and to be honest i don't really know what i did with most of my time (laughs) when i was in like middle school and even high school yeah um i hung out with friends sometimes you know i wasn't like a big Partier. Yeah, I was more in the indie crowd. And, okay. Uh, and even on that note, in high school, what has your attention at that point? Are you are you into music? Are you a sports guy or just kicking yeah, it? Yeah, I was into sports. I remember this was actually a big pivotal moment in my life because I had been into soccer since, you know, middle school or elementary school even. Uh, and I really liked soccer. I was never, you know, super focused on it and never that good. And in my, I think it was my freshman year in high school, maybe my sophomore year, all my friends were trying out for the soccer team and I was trying out too. And, and I tried really hard, went to tryouts and I didn't make the cut. I didn't even make JV. I was like not good enough for anything. So, um, so I didn't make the team and it was this big, like, Oh, I felt really bad about myself. And I don't remember how I found out about Muay Thai, but for some reason I, I found out about Muay Thai and found out that there was a gym near my city and I don't know, I'm surprised actually now thinking about it, never thought about this, that I would have the guts to go and do this by myself as like a shy, you know, high schooler. But I went to to this other city, Concord, um, and started training in Muay Thai when I was like a sophomore in high school. Dang, Uh, dude. Yeah, and and did it for like three years and got really good. And um, so it was, that was a lot of fun just in high school. Wow, that's a really interesting perspective because yeah. muay thai is so the opposite of like a team sport in high school it's like yeah. very much solo you're focused on yeah. it's very dis- it takes a lot of discipline yeah. you know because it's an aggressive it's yeah. a fighting sport which really doesn't match my personality in a lot of ways yeah um and people would tell me when i would fight in muay thai i, I would always have a smile on my face and it would freak people out because i was just having fun yeah like, i just enjoyed you know the, the exercise and the technique and the skill dude that is a really interesting way to think about a sport as a young man because that's mm. normally not what you're in. you're in it for either for the girls mm. or to get in shape oh i'm sure i was like oh, Jim, you're here for skill. Yeah. <laughs> okay okay at least you're thinking one step ahead yeah. okay perfect yeah. um so then when you're in high school you're you're doing muay thai you're kicking ass by the time you're a senior or yeah. around in there what are you do you have an idea what you want to do with your life any mm. idea what what's next mm, for you what's kind of yeah. on your radar i would say that was another turning point in my life was senior year in high school is up until then i had been a good student but not amazing just kind of mediocre maybe like b average or b plus i didn't really try very hard so i, I was smart but i could just kind of get by without yeah. without doing too much but in my senior year i took a physiology class and mm. just really i don't know what it was but it it really clicked and i 
just loved studying it and and doing the work and ended up you know getting a really good grade in the class and that just kind of turned on the intellectual side mm. of my life uh, which was a great segue going into college because it was right before I went off to college and I just felt this uh, confidence in academics and, Dude, and science. Dude, that's so cool. Yeah. Do you ever think about what it was about the, like, was that teacher just awesome or do you think it was just the subject? Do you ever think, like, because that's a life-changing class, knowing yeah. your history. Yeah, and yeah. That, like. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the teacher was really cool. His name was Mr. Finn. Um, he was this old this old guy, but very, you know, the type of guy you would think he was, he had been in the military <laughs> yeah. for 40 years, you know, yeah. very lean and yeah, strong. Yeah. Um, he was maybe, I don't know, 65 or 70, but just really in great shape. Uh, he would go for runs every morning and, um, and he was a, a really nice guy, really inspiring. So mm. it was probably a bit Mr. Finn and then some of just, just being good at it, probably just being too. good at it. And, you know, taking pride in the fact that I was uh, good at something. Yeah. Uh, and so was it always on your trajectory to do college? Was that kind of always the Yeah, idea? I never really thought about it. I mean, it was in the school. I came from a pretty good school district okay. when I was in high school. And so a lot of the people were going to, you know, UC Berkeley. Yeah. Stanford and Harvard and all those Where places. are you looking at at that point for colleges? So, oh, that's another funny story. I mean, I got lucky because uh, I was, again, I was a mediocre student, so maybe like B average, B plus average, uh, and I only applied to two schools uh, because, I don't. I mean, I can't imagine being a high school student today. It must be so stressful. Um, even back then it was stressful, but I applied to Colorado College, which was a private school out in Colorado. And UC Davis, which was a public school uh, just north. And fortunately, I didn't get into Colorado College because also it was very expensive. I don't know why I applied there. Uh, That's such a strange pick of like yeah, all the yeah, choices. I don't know. I, I applied to be some like wilderness like specialist. My, my oh. application was very strange. I wanted to like learn about how to survive in nature. I could totally see you doing that type of stuff too, yeah. Jay. Like in meditation, I can see, but also I could see you as like the wilderness guy, yeah. dude. Yeah. And it's important to know that meditation was nowhere on my radar. Yeah. Spirituality was nowhere on my radar. Like none of this kind of holistic or wellness stuff was, was anywhere even close. The closest I got was with Muay Thai, with a martial yeah. art. But even that, it wasn't like uh, Not the a same. spiritual thing. Yeah. Um, it was just, I enjoyed the exercise. Uh, and looking badass, of and course. for yeah. girls, yeah, for yeah. girls, yeah. <laughs> it's for spirituality and for girls. Yeah. Um, and so you, that's no safety school. It's like UC or nothing. Well, I guess I thought of UC Davis as kind of my safety school, but didn't realize at the time that you know it wasn't really that safe because it's a good school. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't really think about it too much, but fortunately I got in, and so that. You know, that is crazy. My life, yeah. And and so mom at this point is mom out of school? Yeah, at this point, by the time I'm in the end of high school, at the time all of high school, she had finished her undergrad. So when she divorced my dad, she went back to undergrad. So her oh, her story wow. is like the story of my childhood is a lot about the story of my mom and what she went through, uh, which was as a single parent you know, taking custody of the kids and going back to undergrad. So just imagine like being as old as you are now with three kids and going back to undergrad. Dude, 
taking out student loans. I'm having a hard time taking care of myself making yeah. beats. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. let alone school, let alone kids, let alone right. loans. Yeah. Like, that is not, your mom is a trooper. Well, more than a trooper. I mean, she ended up then progressing all the way through academia and getting her PhD and then became a, a full professor at UC Berkeley. Wow. Yeah. And so when she's doing, what was she doing when she was with your dad? She was a, a stay-at-home. Oh, she was a stay-at-home. And then she's like, she's like, I'm going to take care of my, like, get my business yeah. right and go back through the whole process. Yeah. That is insane. Was she ever home? Like, how did you got, how did yeah, she swing it? So raising us, I mean, that's, I had a, I had a, a wonderful child, childhood. I loved it. Um, we lived on campus at UC Santa Cruz. So there was a family student housing. So for students with families, there was this whole area, like a little community. Oh, wow. So we lived there and my mom would go to classes and we would kind of take care of ourselves a lot. Um, so, you know, making ourselves dinner and like peanut butter jelly sandwiches for dinner. And, oh, wow. Uh, and it was a very safe community and a lot of other kids there and a lot of families that kind of looked after each other. Uh, so I loved it. It was a great way. You know, it wasn't, I think my sister had a, a harder time with yeah. it. Um, I think she felt the lack of attention a little more than I did. Yeah. Uh, because I am kind of a, a lone wolf mm -hmm. kind of thing. I like my solitude. Um, so I loved it. It was great for me growing up. That is fascinating. Yeah. Um, so all my life, basically, I've lived in academia, you know, from when I was a little kid living at the university to my mom being a professor to and then, then me going, going to college. To, to do your yeah. thing. And so when you then are going to college, you is the end goal, okay, I saw mom get her PhD. I'm gonna do I'm gonna get a PhD too, or are you just thinking, I know that I'm into physiology, let me run with this? Yeah, I think I wasn't even thinking long term at that point. I was just it was just Figuring like, Oh, out. I really I like studying science and this is cool. And what was college like for you? Did you did you continue to like the science? I yeah. saw some pictures. Okay, you had a lot of oh, fun in college. Oh, no. <laughs> oh man, I hope you didn't go back no, too far. I went back pretty far. Oh, it looked, gosh. it looked. I was like, Jeremy had a good time. Did dude. you do that thing? You know, on Facebook, when you you click on the first photo of somebody and then you go in the yep. opposite direction to go to their very <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think yep. that's that's not good. No, so. dude, there's some fun ones in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as you you could tell from the photos, I I had fun in college. <laughs> it looked okay. like a blast. Yeah, I started to blossom in in my social life and uh, academically as well. I mean, at first, the first couple semesters or or trimesters, because I was on the quarter system, were pretty rough. Um, not rough. I just wasn't excelling. Yeah. But then at some point at the end of my first year, I really hit my groove and, and started doing fantastically well in my classes. And this is UC and Davis? UC Davis, yeah. And what is, what's life like at UC Davis? How is it? Oh, it's amazing. Really? Yeah. Or it was when I went. Um, and I think it still is, but of course it's different now from when I went. Uh, it's a small university town, so it's maybe... Mm. When the students aren't there, it's maybe 70,000 people. Mm. And then when the students are there during the, the school year, there's maybe 120,000. Okay. Uh, so it's really a small kind of university town and just lovely. I mean, it's all flat, so everybody bikes around. So it's a bicycling university city. Uh, wow. And just, just really laid back. It's like the best, in my opinion, the best UC because it has the best mix of academics plus a good quality of life. 
Like people are relaxed there. That's interesting because like Berkeley and uh, UCLA get so much shine. Yeah, yeah. You know, that I feel like you, Davis is one that um, kind of flies under the radar sometimes. Yeah. With that. Another one I had, I think I've had friends go to was Irvine. Yeah, UC Irvine. I think UC Irvine. The, yeah. the UC system seems like, if you're Fantastic. in state, it sounds, yeah. I feel like it's the best state yeah. school system. Yeah, yeah. That there is. And so you're in there. You're kicking ass after the first year. You're excelling. You're starting mm-hmm. to blossom. Um, you obviously continue in this path of sort of physiology genetics. Yeah. So when I first started, I was my major was exercise physiology and kinesiology. I think because I was kind of in the, the physiology kick and also the Muay Thai made me think like, oh, I want to be a personal trainer. Yeah. I want to learn out about exercise. I think it'd be dope now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I studied nutrition and, and exercise physiology. Um, and I think a lot of that also had to do with me being teased for mm-hmm. being fat as a kid. And so wanting to really take ownership of, yeah. of my health and kind of show people that I wasn't, you know, some weakling. Yeah. So I think some of it was probably based in that, uh, you know, kind of insecurity around body image issues. Right. Um, But towards the end of my first year or the beginning of my second year, I took a class in genetics, molecular genetics, and just fell in love completely with it and realized that I wanted to do genetics and I wasn't that passionate about being like an exercise physiologist. Um, and in part, it was reconnecting with the study of evolution and evolutionary biology and seeing that we were all connected. Uh, so that's where kind of a little bit of the spirituality starts to come in, is just realizing this deep connection with all living things, like realizing we all have the exact same genetic code. So you know whether you're looking at a tree or a fungus or a cat or us or you know, a microbe, we all use the same genetic material because mm-hmm. we're all related. Like we're all cousins, you know? Um, that's interesting. So that's sort of where, I guess, the budding of the this sort of spirituality aspect yeah. kind of starts to... Well, I'd say it plays into my... My understanding of science really plays into my personal views on spirituality. Uh. Um, but it, it wasn't really the the door into meditation for me that comes later okay so then let's fast forward a little bit so then you end up becoming the senior year rolls around you've been uc davis for four years five years five years yeah because i owe it slow (laughs) i mean my senior year was my fourth year but i took a i think they call it a lap what do they call it a lap year or something where you just you're enjoying college so much so i I spread it out and did college in five years oh just because you're having so much fun yeah that's dope, yeah. dude. Yo, I fuck with that. Yeah. Um, okay, so it took me four and a half just because I, I yeah. t- took me a while to figure things out. But yeah. um, I have nothing against slow. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. a patient, yeah. patience, man. So you do the five-year college thing, and then you say, you know what? I'm not quite done with school. I want to do five more years of this. Or Well, there's a whole other life in between those. Okay. Um, so I'll give you the short version real quick. Or it doesn't have to, as much as you want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm in the so. rush. Um, so finished my degree in five years. And by that time, I was doing a lot of research. So I, I'd kind of switched over to more evolutionary genetics and um, still really passionate about genetics, but evolution and ecology and these sorts of things. And I had been doing research in a bunch of different labs. And, and there was one lab that I was really passionate about and really 
loved the professor. Mm. Um, and so while I was finishing my degree, I was doing research in his lab. And then after I graduated, I stayed on in his lab as a research scientist. Um, so it's your was, first job out of college was a research yeah, scientist? Yeah, oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I was technically a research scientist. I think you need a PhD to be called that. But I was a, a lab technician. You were getting paid, I was to, getting paid to do science, to do science yeah. in a lab. Um, and it was wonderful. Like, I still have a great connection with this professor. He's one of my first kind of mentors. Um, ah. And he's, he's just a, a, he was a crazy guy. He, like, he looked like a mix between, between Charles Darwin and Santa Claus and a homeless person. <laughs> Like if you mix all three of those together, like a um, big dude that was like like seems academic has like leaves and shit in his hair when he comes. Well, in. he was like, he was small and wiry, like he was oh. pretty strong, but 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 thin. But he had this big bushy white beard and this long kind of bushy-ish white hair. Oh wow! Um, and he was a pure science, so he'd have these spectacles. Yes, and uh, and he just loved teaching uh, evolutionary biology, and he was a kind of a call him a population geneticist so very heavy on the math oh okay uh, and so he'd always walk around with his chalk and <laughs> he'd always have chalk on his fingers <laughs> from lecturing and um and he was also just a cool guy like listen to cool music mm. and um i got to know him and his family really well so so you're having a blast in the lab yeah. doing oh, oh yeah. dude that's amazing so yeah. you're having a good time and then what happens after that yeah okay so now we start to get into the the interesting stuff is that I did really well in university. So I was at, by the time I was in my last couple of years, I was acing all my courses and setting the curve in all these courses. So these would be, you know, two, two or 300 people in a class, really smart people. And I was... You're killing it. Killing You're top it. of these yeah, classes. Top of the class, yeah. Um, to the point where I was literally upset if I didn't get a perfect score on these really hard tests. Um, wow. I was really focused on school. I just, I loved going to cafes and studying my textbooks. And um, so, yeah. I was was really it also it. the math that you liked as well? Or was it more it was the, the science? The science. Yeah, okay. it was the evolution and studying genetics. And, um, and this also played into my kind of secular, kind of mm. atheist, uh, rebellious nature that I didn't like being raised in a very strict right. Christian household. And really connected with rationality and reason mm. and science. And so I was just passionate about, about doing it and loved it. Wow. And also what I realized now, what I wasn't aware of then, is that I was addicted to the success completely. Because I was ah. doing so well and I was getting so many accolades. And, um, and I loved the feeling of, you know, setting the curve. Yeah. And professors yeah. were like, you exactly. know, the attention. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And so you are just like crushing it. Yeah, completely. And when, so then when you think of going to the lab, is that sort of like, how can I extend this far, like farther? All of it was, yeah. How can I be a better student, a better scientist? How can I be mm. the best? Can I be at the top of, of the game, top of the Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. I, I was still interested in the stuff, but there was also that kind of background, um, you know, type A, yeah. perfectionist, uh, high achiever. Right. Overachiever, basically. That, man, we could not have had different college experiences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's That sounds like so much fun to be that good at some shit that you're like, dude, I don't blame you, man. If, yeah. when you're, if you're, fuck, if there were any class that I was top of the class in, I would have ran with it. Like, yeah. that, that is such, um, 
such a validation yeah. when you can find that thing that especially coming from a background of of feeling possibly like identity wise is you're trying to figure it out or being teased or whatever when it's like it's kind of like fuck you where you're like you're like yo I'm killing this thing mm-hmm. you know it's mm-hmm. like when you can find that thing I don't blame you for like latching onto it yeah. and being like how far can I take this yeah you know for it could be like skateboarding for you it happened to be science at mm-hmm. the time so then you're in the lab and how long you in that lab position for? So I stayed there for one year. Okay. Yeah. And then what happened after that? So that's when when things kind of hit the fan. Oh. Um, the, the shit hit the fan, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Was it uh, one pivotal moment? There was a single moment when I realized. Uh, so there was this moment that I still, you know, look back on and reflect on like, oh, that was the moment when I just, it broke. Um, so... To just to give you a little more background, aside from the academics going really well, all my social life was going really well too. So I was, at this point in college, I switched over to doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because they didn't mm. have Muay Thai at my school. So I started, I joined the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu club and was doing that for basically the entire time I was in college. And I was there for six years. So I did it for about six years. Oh, wow. Um, and... You know, with everything that I put my mind to, I kind of excel at right. because I put everything into it. Right. So I ended up being really good at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and ended up being the team president for a while and then kind of an assistant coach after a while. So I was really good at that. So that was going Are really well. Are you a purple belt? Black belt? No, blue belt. Blue belt. Okay. But at the time, I mean, it was a small like university club. So, so belts weren't like a huge thing. Well, we only... I was the only blue belt, and our, oh. our teacher was a purple belt. Oh, okay, so, like, okay. we didn't have, like, six black belts. Yeah, okay, like, no, three no. Bro- Yeah. Um, so the fact that I was a blue belt... It was a big deal. It was a big deal, because I could tap out anybody who came, because even if they were a big 300-pound guy, you know, I could Yeah, take and that down. is another feeling of giving you that, that, yeah. that sense of strength, Yeah. you know, in another way. Yeah. Okay, so socially, it's like, the jiu-jitsu is going well, the science is going yeah. well. Lots of friends. Lots of friends. Do you have a girlfriend? I didn't have a steady girlfriend, um, oh, but I, I had see you. lots of lovers. <laughs> I see you, yo. Yeah. You do what you got to do. Yeah. So, ladies are going well. Ladies are going ladies well. Ladies are going well. So, wh- what causes the break? So, what caused the break is is all of this stuff in my life was going well. Um, you know, succeeding academically, had lots of friends. You I was know, like, that sounds like the trifecta, man. It's yeah. like socially, yeah. physically... Like, right. Okay. Like, so like, here's the thing. Everything was going well, but inside I was never happy. I was never content because I was mm. always thinking about how can I be better because I had mm. cultivated this attachment to success. And what happened is, you know, every time I would be able to accomplish what I set my mind to, it would be cool for maybe three seconds. And then I would be like, okay, what's next? Yeah. Um, and over the years, over five years of really, you know, being addicted to that, it solidified into this uh, anxiety about the future. Just always, you know, worrying about was I doing enough? Was I being good enough? Did people like me? You know, was I succeeding? Mm. Um, and I wasn't aware. Of, I mean, it was there the whole time. That was a lot of what motivated me to do so well was that kind of that drive, that, you know, anxiety um, pushing me to, to work harder, to work more. Uh, but I realized over time that it had become a neurosis and I was just an anxious wreck inside. I was always concerned about, 
you know, the future and what I would do next. And isn't that like type A to the T? It's like, it's like, like excels like through the roof overachiever and then is like super anxious about exactly that sort of stuff. So, so then you said it culminates in one point. Is there something where you get like uh, a paperback and it's like not as good as you expect or something that sort of, because it's, yeah. it takes a while to have the realization that you're in that yeah. mode. But I feel like, like you said too, it's normally, there's a tipping point. Yeah. So this leads into the other thing. That, there were two big things that got me into meditation. And one of them was this kind of anxiety, just like constantly being anxious and, and realizing that I was doing that to myself. Um, the other thing was that because of all this uh, high achieving, well, I don't, it wasn't because of this. It was probably other, just completely separate reasons. But I had been looking at pornography, um, like most men do, which is quite natural for a lot of guys. Curveball. Um, very curveball, yeah. So the hidden thing for me was like, I, it started when I was young, maybe in sixth grade, just like looking at, you know, photos of girls dude when we had dial up back in there that's all you can get is the photos you know what i mean it's like AOL chassis like i feel you bro like that do we worked what we got yeah yeah but so over the years uh it developed into an addiction um where i was looking at pornography by the time i was in college it was like every night i was looking at pornography for maybe a couple hours even um so i had this like hidden addiction to to pornography and to arousal um and so that was it was like this hidden life that i had uh where i was still very high achieving but i had this like shameful hidden act thing that i would do at night um and the reason that i see them as very similar is that they were both things that i had been cultivating with my mind i had been cultivating certain neural habits certain Mm. pathways with my mind and so one of those was the you know addiction to success and achievement and being the best and I was addicted to that and the other one was addicted to pornography and addicted to to sex and arousal Um, can I ask you a question about that yeah 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 how I feel like if you're watching hours of porn every night it's really where do you get the studying done like how do you how are you able to do both of yeah, those things yeah. I, it still kind of boggles my <laughs> that's mind that's a lot um, of t- that's hard to i couldn't i could i was watching hours of porn and was not top of my class uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, and i think if i wasn't either way i could switch it the yeah, other way around like yeah. i don't know how you did both of them yeah like well that's i'm very high achiever like so i would be i didn't have Oh, it's weird because I had a social life and I would go out and so then I started drinking also and get, you know, blackout drunk, going out with friends. Um, so I don't know how I got it all done, but I was just very on top of my on stuff. On top of it. Yeah. Wow. And so the porn thing, was that something that um, when it was like ours, is that like trying to find the right clip? Yeah. Are we, okay. Yeah. Okay. Because for me, I feel like with porn, it's very much um, diminishing returns. So yeah, yeah. after, so if, cause if yeah. you're an every night type of yeah. guy, I mean, yeah. I don't think an every night type of guy is like that off. I feel like a lot of, if you're a teenager or even in college, whatever, like you're getting it, how you got to get it. But you realize quickly that like it goes down from just like normal sex is like, psh, it doesn't do it for you at all. You yeah. got to like get into like weirder and weirder yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So by the end, is it like people in lobster suits like going at it type <laughs> of thing? Or like, is it more just the feeling for you was you liked that? Yeah. 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 Uh, I, it, wasn't, spark. it wasn't necessarily getting into like weird, weird stuff. It was, but it was just addicted to the novelty. So when you start uh, looking at the science of it, what happens is people become addicted to seeing something new, seeing something novel. And so you end up just searching for hours for like, yeah. okay, what's going to be, you know, the, the one, um, you know, the best thing. And so you can just keep searching forever and ever. And it just, it totally screws with your brain and, you know, your kind of, uh, what you're seeking. And so what happened is that over years of, of looking at pornography, my day-to-day life, the way I approached women and the way I was just constantly looking, um, I mm. could tell that I was, I had a problem, you know, because I was just constantly thinking about it and couldn't really control my urges. Um, Is that in the sense of, um, I was actually talking to Irmo about this, yeah. a little bit of the, the pornography you felt like was then affecting the personal relationships in the sense of it was you could have exactly what you wanted this you know drop of a button or whatever mm. they say so that way you were feeling less um enjoyment from the personal relationships with women or it became more of like uh like the game mm. side of it no so oh, yeah. for me the it's kind of um it's more that i realized that the craving itself was really intense suffering and I got to the point where, because uh, I was craving it all the time. You know, if you're addicted to pornography, then you you, know. you just crave it all the time. You know, you're always thinking about, okay, later tonight I'll do this. Or or you're just, you know, looking around at women. Um, and it got to the point where I realized how painful it was to be craving it constantly. Mm. Because my mind couldn't go on to creative things. You know, I couldn't just relax and enjoy the moment because I was either thinking about oh I need to study I need <laughs> right. to you know be the best be the best or I need to go home and jerk off um, and so my mind was never at rest and I was constantly just craving it and that was the moment when it hit me is mm. this moment I was just walking down the street in Davis and I just I see this girl in front of me that I was really attracted to and I could feel this like big black empty pit in my oh. stomach. Oh, yeah, I, I, know thought, I, thought, I thought that was <laughs> I going somewhere totally. I was going to see my face. I was like, I know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, I felt that too. <laughs> yeah. But what I realized is that simultaneously with the arousal, with the, you know, that kind of fire of lust, yeah. was this empty pit that just, you know, it eats away at you, where you're, you're, you become super focused. You can't see anything else and you're just super concentrated on getting that and attaining it and mm. I want it and it's this feeling like I can't be happy unless I have that thing interesting and I realized that was the moment where I realized how how messed up my life was up until then I hadn't realized it you know I was aware that and I was ashamed of it you know I didn't tell my friends oh I'm you know I'm looking at porn every mm. night but it was something that I was definitely it was that moment when it really hit me like, wow, my life is so messed up that I am, am completely just suffering. Um, and it's my own doing. Like, I was the one that created those habits. 
Uh, and I had strengthened those habits. By and, yeah. And reinforcing them. Yeah. So I'm really curious about, and I, and I don't want to jump in this too much if you don't want to, no, but, but I, I'm, I find this so fascinating. Yeah. Um, so when you are in this addiction stage yeah. with porn, but you're also, you know, doing well with ladies mm. and, and you're having these, these intimate personal relationships with women do, are those never satisfying enough that you can you put the porn on hold? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think I wouldn't say that I was super successful with the relationship department. Uh, um, I was sociable and I was attractive. I had hair back then and I, I looked <laughs> I a little cuter. I think you you know? still, hey, I like the look because I'm rocking it too. Yeah, so this yeah. is this is the, what I appreciate. Yeah. Um, so I had a lot of girlfriends, but... But I had actually never had a serious, committed relationship. And I think in large part, uh. it was due to my addiction to pornography. I think because what it had done to my brain was, again, this seeking novelty and not being right. able to be content with what you have. Um, that is such an interesting aspect. Yeah. It, I found that that can be huge in, in New York. When I was in New York and online dating a lot. Yeah. It was... It, it does the same thing to your brain. It does the exact same yeah. thing. It was... I found the culture was so different in New York City because it is this this thrill of dating and there are so many options yeah. that and you can have a date every night if you want one a new yeah. one that what's what's around the block could be better or yeah, what's next exactly. could be better that yeah. it rarely is it ever fulfilling yeah. because now when I look back I'm like I would date any of those women because yeah. they were all yeah. so dope but because you're meeting new dope women every night it, you're you never want to settle down right. for more than because there's always that fear. Yeah, what if there's someone better? Exactly. What yeah. am I missing out on? Yeah. And so that be, it all. And the reason I asked too is because there have been certain times in my life where the porn use has been much heavier. Yeah. But then, um, like if you're in a relationship and you're having sex pretty frequently, I feel like it, it often wanes. It would wane my lust for the pornography, mm. or just. I guess that's why I was curious for mm. you is um, if you found the inverse of that or if you were ever had an intimacy mm. with a, mm. with a woman yeah, and yeah. you're like, the porn is better. I can find exactly what I want. This yeah. is real life doesn't match up to my mm. instant gratification yeah. of what you normally get. So do you, throughout that time, do you have then a serious long-term girlfriend throughout that or you, you sort of shy away from it because you I think have other stuff? I, it wasn't shying away from it uh, intentionally, but um, but I was also really picky, and so n nobody was ever really good enough to. And again, just like you, like if I could go back, and all these girls were fantastic and amazing, and people that I I still have, you know, good friendships with a lot of them. In the mindset though, at that time, it's you got to be the best, right? So they've got to be, yeah, a rock, yeah, right. And so if one little thing happened, it's so where funny. You know, they they were like wear red shoes some, or something. Yeah, You're yeah. like, oh, I can't wear some. Yeah, or their shoes. breath smelled bad one <laughs> yes, day. I'm like, yes. nope, I can't do it. It's yeah. crazy how petty we are in that, yeah. in that mode. Yeah. Of the, in the New York, it's the same thing. I was yeah. like, this girl doesn't know Eminem. I can't right. find it. Like, <laughs> Doesn't all the lyrics? Like, no. seriously, though. Yeah. And it's the same with the bad breath thing. I think it's funny bringing that up because I know that's a real example yeah. that actually happened. Yeah. When you're in that mind state, yeah. it is. it can be as small as that. Yeah. And you move on. And we don't have the patience. We yeah. don't have the, the ability to say, oh, you know, it's just human. bad breath. They're human. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, so you're walking, you're walking home from cafe or whatever. Yeah. You see this girl. Yeah. You feel the emptiness. Mm-hmm. You feel the fire in the emptiness. Yeah. And what? How is that uh, the motivation to change? Is that just a spark that then that's the moment that you are able to be like meta enough that you realize that this is going on? Yeah, or, I think that was the moment. Well, I think I probably realized it maybe. Uh, an hour later but what happened is I just fell into this kind of deep sense of depression and and self judgment I mm. think like I'm worthless you know to think that I just am walking around completely a slave to my desires and suffering and not happy and this is the thing is that everything in my life was going well you know <laughs> yeah. grades and friends and socially. sports and socially but I just wasn't happy and I was suffering most of the time because I was constantly craving so so that day I just kind of realized there's got to be something else like I must be doing this wrong and so then I started looking into books on kind of happiness I just started searching what does it mean because I I remember having this thought like am I ever going to be happy it's actually I haven't thought about this in a while but that was the thought I just said it was more it wasn't am I ever going to it was I'm never going to be happy Mm. and it was so painful to think about that I can do everything I want and be successful in so many ways and I'm not happy and so that prompted me to start looking at these books on happiness and I ended up reading about positive psychology and that mm-hmm. people were actually studying what makes people happy from a scientific perspective. Mm. And so I read a few books on positive psychology and they really were interesting and, and quite fascinating. And one of those books led me to a book on meditation, on Buddhist meditation. And that book completely changed my life. What book? So it's called Happiness by Mathieu Ricard. He's a, he's a Tibetan monk. He's a French, uh, born in France. Hmm. Um, and he, what really turned me on about him is he was a scientist also. So he was getting his PhD in uh, molecular, I think molecular genetics or, or maybe microbial biology in France. And then traveled to India and decided to become a monk. And Wow. Uh, so his book really lays out the theoretical underpinnings of Buddhist psychology and what it means to be happy. And, and the book is just, I can't recommend it highly enough, especially if you're going through any sort of existential crisis about happiness. Why was it that one compared to the other ones? Do you think you just related to him through the science or the way he explains it? Yeah, it's just understanding Buddhist psychology and realizing that it's not a religion, it's not mm. about praying to the Lord Buddha, it's about understanding the sources of suffering in your mm. mind and understanding the sources of happiness. And that it's, it's very much like understanding the dynamics of your mind and how you experience reality. That's what Buddhist meditation is about. And wow. one of the, the key teachings of Buddhism is that all of your suffering, so that the word in, in Pali or Sanskrit is dukkha, Um, And it usually gets translated as suffering, but it's more like dissatisfaction or just this feeling that something's not right. So any sort of agitation in your mind where you're like, I'm not digging this right now. Pretty much what it means to be human. Exactly. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, in general. Exactly. And so that which 
all humans experience that dukkha, that dissatisfaction, that feeling this isn't right. In Buddhist psychology, we talk about it as being the source of dukkha is craving, mm. wanting things to be a certain way and mm. not being open to the way things are. That's the, it's very simple, but that's the key teaching of the Buddha. That makes that, a lot of sense. Yeah, is that your suffering is because of craving. And if you let go of craving, suffering fades away. Mm. If you can open up to reality the way it is, if you can just be in the moment and not be wanting to change things, not wanting something else, then you can have true happiness in that moment. And so what I realized is that I had been cultivating so much mm. suffering because I was cultivating craving. Life was craving at that point. Exactly. For, in, wow, in every way. In and, every it's, way. and it's not just the addiction to pornography. It's the, everything is a, can be a source of craving. Depends on how you're relating to it. Right. So for me, my academic success was right. a big source of suffering as well. And so it's like these, these, these two prongs of intense satisfaction and like constant um, suffering, I guess, through the pornography and in the success that you're having academically that's where like the light bulb goes off and you're like, Oh fuck. Like I've been coming at this whole thing the wrong way. So yeah. how then are you able to ch put the things back in reverse so that you can <laughs> get out of that? Cause that's yeah. a, that's a long journey. Yeah. That's yeah. a long journey. Yeah. And so you read this book, you say, okay, I need to change shit. How do you start yeah. at that point? Do you go to a therapist? Do you start? I don't know. Yeah. How do you, how do you handle that? Yeah. So it wasn't, right away that I, I mean, it, first thing to say is it's a long journey and it, it's it, the journey. You don't yeah. get to a destination um, yeah, it's never where like, you're yeah. like, okay, I'm completely healed. <laughs> yeah. No more suffering, you know? Um, but, but being on the journey is the beautiful path. I mean, it's a path of so much just healing and happiness and love and, and acceptance. Um, so what really helped me along that path was when I traveled to India. So mm. a few months after I read that book, uh, I was out of college at this point, out of Davis. And before I went to grad school, I, I took a year off and said, I'm just going to live abroad. I'm going to travel. Ah, I'm going to try to find myself. Yeah. yeah. So it was really trying to find myself. And you had enough money saved at this point? Well, I, I worked abroad. So oh. first I went to Singapore and worked as like a camp counselor, um, lived there for six months. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so I've had many different lives. Many, Dude, many. When so, you said three, yeah. I was like, you might have more like yeah. seven. It's yeah. funny because I felt the hesitation there and I was like, maybe maybe I misjudged yeah. it. It was just two. Okay, so like the Charmian reference is so off. I need something with like you five levels in that shit. Yeah, like I need <laughs> like a final form type shit. Yeah. Wait, so, okay, so that's fascinating. So, because what I appreciate about that is the traveling to find yourself stuff um, automatically one takes care of like your academic need to be best thing because then that you're no longer in academics Two, your Wi-Fi is probably shit somewhere that you go. So I'm not sure if that handles the porn thing, but like just getting out of that environment, I feel like half the time can be enough of a wake up call to just like start pushing you in that right direction. It can, but it can also completely not. And so there's a, a quote, which I love called wherever you go, there you are. I love that quote yeah, too. Yeah. And yes. You bring your shit with you. You bring your baggage. You bring your 
you're craving with you. I mean, and so when I went to Singapore, I was still the same, you know, craving, horny bastard that I was back in the U.S. Huh. And so that's the thing is, when I started that year of abroad trying to find myself, at some point what I realized is that I had traveled to all these countries. I was going to these places because I was trying to find something. I was trying to, you know, find something else outside of myself. Um, but what I realized is I was just bringing the same baggage into new places. Mm. So it really wasn't until I started looking internally and started on this path of meditation and really understanding my mind uh, and training my mind. That's what really changed it. Uh, and going to India did help, but you can really do it anywhere. Like, yeah. yeah. I guess with the traveling sometimes is it just um, the perspective yeah. that comes yeah, yeah. with it can be, can be really helpful. But like you said, like... I know that it doesn't solve anything on its own. Right. You know, it right. has to be paired yeah. with, with that. Yeah. That. It can be a great way to start fresh and just really examine your life. Yeah. In a new scenario. In, in coming here too, and that's something we can touch on in a bit, I, I found it to be, I, I've traveled a little bit before, but here especially, it just like kicked me into a different creative zone just because it gives you perspective on life in such a different way that sometimes you can only experience from being there in person. Yeah. And so you're out there, you're in Singapore, you do the camp counselor thing, mm -hmm. and then you go to India inspired by the book or just because... Well, and then I went to South America and then I went back to Berkeley and worked as a dishwasher for a couple months in a cafe. So I was doing a lot of different things. Okay, so let's. <laughs> so I want to dig in that just a little bit. Uh -huh. So Singapore for six months, camp yeah. counselor, and then India for... No, then South America. Oh, and then South, we're in South America. Mostly Argentina. So Argentina for a month and Chile for a couple of days. Okay. Yeah. And are you still working at this point or just traveling? No, at this point I was just traveling. Just, just traveling. for a month of backpacking. Okay. Yeah. So you backpack through South America a little bit. Um, back to Berkeley. And then back to Berkeley. And or, this you're living at home? No, I was living in a, an apartment in Berkeley. Why, what sparked the idea to go back home from South America? Um, one is probably I just needed a job and needed to start making money. So mm. got a job at a cafe washing dishes, um, which was cool. You know, like being this super academic, like graduating with highest honors and and then going from that into washing dishes was a nice humbling experience. Yeah, it'll humble your shit real quick. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I'm not sure what it's like there in Cali, but it's something where, because in Philly, I feel you in that in that restaurant industry. That's like, you're when you're back there and sort of backstage in the kitchens. You know what I mean? And you're there are a lot of people from different cultures back there working their ass off. Yeah. That then you realize you're like. Oh damn! Like, yeah. shit! Like life is tough. Life is tough. Yeah, and you gain a new sense of gratitude for the opportunities you have. Oh, exactly. Yeah. You know, and so you, how long you did washing dishes for? I think I was there for two months washing dishes. And why were you doing that instead of like waiting tables or bartending or anything like that? Or did you just? Yeah, I don't know. I, I probably could have tried harder to get a, a better job, but I think I knew it was temporary also, mm. and so I, I wasn't because at that point I had already. No, it wasn't. I think it was while I was washing dishes that I got accepted into graduate school oh. for a PhD program. Did, had you applied while you were abroad? I applied while I was in Singapore, yeah. Okay, so you're in Singapore, and what makes you want to apply to a PhD program? So when I was in Singapore, I realized that like I don't want to waste my time. I, I just felt like I was wasting my time hmm. and wanted to get back 
into the science world and kind of do what I loved. And I still didn't really found myself, but yeah. I was like, you know what, I, I like science, you know, I'm good at it, let's just get back into science, I know I want to be a professor someday, so go back to grad school. And I had the grades to do it, you yeah. know, had and the, the experience too of being experience. in a lab. Yeah. So how did you decide on the school that you did? So I applied to a few schools and in the end it came down to either UT Austin uh, for a PhD or Duke University for a PhD. Um, and they both flew me out and I got to go visit both of them and see the professors. And, and Duke just felt like a better fit. Yeah, in a lot of ways. I just really felt connected to the professors and the program in North Carolina. Wow. Okay. So that's dope because then you get your washing dishes, you get accepted yeah. and you're like, and so I've got four months at this point where I've got like, okay, three or four months until I start graduate school. And that's when I go to India. Ah, and how are you in this point in the journey mentally? Are you still suffering pretty hardcore or are you a little bit more in the acceptance stage? Where are you? I would say, yeah, I was not, well, I would say still suffering quite a bit. Mm. Um, I think I had lessened the, the porn addiction, but okay. not not fully. Um, I was still very much addicted to it, but not like two hours every night like I was right. in college. Um, so I was better because I had this thing that I was doing. You know, I had a, a direction. I was like, okay, I'm going to grad school. And so it, I had a, something to look forward to. Right. Um, which helped, but it was superficial. I mean, the, the suffering was still there. The, the craving was still there. And you go to Duke then, and you start in genetics, mm -hmm. right? And so, Hold on, you're skipping oh, India. Oh, that's right, India. Okay, India is the, the pivotal part. India is the most pivotal thing that happened to me. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well... That, that was being in India, and, and that I was there for three months. Those three months were arguably the most important thing in my life. Um, so actually, before we get into the India stuff, this is something too that I want to yeah. talk about because I'm sure people listening to, um, this is fascinating stuff because mm -hmm. I think porn addiction is something that a lot of people maybe talk about porn usage, but some people still probably don't talk about their porn usage much. Being as studious as I assume that you are, um, I assume that you've done a lot of research into this sort of stuff now mm -hmm. um, and have an understanding of it. How do you have sort of a percentage of how many people are afflicted by this or mm. sort of, can you tell me a little bit more about the addiction mm. side of it? Like, mm. was it ever sex addiction too? Or is that a different mm. ball game? I feel like they go hand in hand. They do. Yeah, well, not necessarily. Um, I'm sure it depends on the person. You know, some people will just be addicted to pornography and it might hamper them from actually going out into the real world. Yeah. Um, and for some people, it probably manifests as sex addiction as mm. well. And I imagine there's some people out there that just have sex addiction without pornography right. addiction. Um, for me, it was a, a sex addiction as well. So I was, uh, you know, I wasn't, like a complete swinger, but yeah. I definitely was, you know. It was a priority. Yeah, definitely. And at this point, are you still plagued by that that sense of um, no, nobody's good enough? So mm -hmm. are, there, mm -hmm. are there any more long-term girlfriends in this 
by this stage? I think it's something that will be with me forever in terms of uh, just who I am as a person. Uh. Um, but it's definitely gotten better. Now that I'm aware of the fact that it's, you know, something that I'm working with, yeah. I'm able to see it and see it as just, oh, that's just my, you know, pickiness. Right, right. Um, that, I think, is half the... I think that's half the battle, just having the awareness yeah. of the shit. Like, when people are like, oh, I don't judge people. I'm like, if you see a guy in a leather jacket with a mohawk, with like, chain, like you're going to judge yeah. him. But yeah. then, like, just to have the awareness to say, oh, I'm being judgmental. Right. Let me, let me f- go talk to him. Or just ha- to have that, um, that extra step exactly. that you're still human. That's right. But to have that awareness, right. you know, I think is, is huge. And so, um, Throughout this point, then you are you you leave for India. You know you have a couple months before you go into your graduate program. Mm-hmm. What is your, um, what's the word for it? Do you have like goals on this trip? Like you said, mm-hmm. you first have to find yourself. Do you sort of have a an a loose agenda of what you're trying to mm-hmm. accomplish on this? That's a really good question. Um, I don't think I had goals. Mm-hmm. I think I was just interested. Okay. Uh, so I. I was there for the first month. I was actually traveling with my mom. She was a because she's a professor. She went on sabbatical, dope, and was visiting some colleagues that she has in India. Hell and yeah! So that's actually how I went in the first place. Is she invited me? She said, "I'm going on sabbatical to India. Wow. I don't want to go alone. Can you be my bodyguard and <laughs> we'll have a, a trip together?" That's awesome. Yeah. So it was a fantastic trip for the first month, just hanging out with my mom and in India. In India, which was wild. Yeah. Um, which was a great way to start because, you know, she wanted to stay at nice hotels. And so yeah, I got yeah. To <laughs> that's sweet. Yeah, Normally, we sh- she would actually book a room for herself in the hotel and I would stay at like a little hostel down the street. <laughs> um, but I would still get to use, you know, the pool or like eat the food. That's so crazy. Yeah. Uh, she couldn't just charge that to Berkeley? Here, Berkeley, take no, take she, this. She <laughs> this this yeah. Oh, man. Well, actually, I, so think, funny. I think I wouldn't have let her I, either. I was like, yeah. no, I'll just stay in a hostel. I'll um, do my own thing. Yeah. Okay. And plus you have your own space. Yeah, that I used yeah, to. Yeah. You have your own space, mom. But mom is around, so you were able exactly. to experience to the city together. with her. Yeah. Wow, and that in itself is probably really nice to reconnect with mom yeah. after all this time away. Yeah, that she's now kind of grown into her, you know, evolved form, and yeah. you're, you know, figuring things out. I probably appreciate her more as an adult mm-hmm. at this point. So you have you can build a new relationship now as a grown man. Yeah. Um. And so at this point, are you twenty three, twenty four? Uh, yeah, actually, I think I might have been 25. 25, somewhere in there, because yeah, yeah, yeah. a couple I, years after college. I was 24, actually, yeah, 24. Because I think that's a really, that's a pivotal, I realized for me, too, that's a pivotal age when you start to see your parents mm. as, like, homies. Yeah. And it's less about that, like, power dynamic. Yeah, yeah. You know, because yeah. you come back and you realize they're human, just yeah. like everyone else. And then you're like, oh, and you can respect them for all, you know. Yeah. You had a little bit of time away to forgive things, yeah. whatever, and. Um, but she and I have always had a really uh, mature relationship. Mm. Like we've always kind of been able to to talk things through. I like Don't. remember sometimes we'd have arguments and and instead of just like getting angry at each other we would actually go talk it out like we would go to the grocery store together and and talk about it. That's dope. Yeah. I I feel I feel really blessed now to be super close to my mom and I always have been too but there was definitely 
for a long it was like you know it's like yeah key is fucking up so it's like key you need to do this and that because right, <laughs> right, because yeah. i said so type right. shit yeah, yeah. you know but now it's like mom's my best friend but it takes time i think yeah. for you to get there so if you but you've already had a good a good relationship yeah. so you, it's never like oh man i've got to go kick with mom for a month you're like this is going to be a dope yeah, way to go awesome. okay yeah. so you're there in india for that first month you're with mom you guys are traveling around yeah. a little bit um and then mom it's like peace and out. She goes back to the states because she has to go back to work, and I stay for another two months and head up into the to the northern states, so Himachal Pradesh, which is where the Tibetan government in exile is. Mm. Um, and so I head up there just backpacking, and at that point, I'm just reading everything I can on Buddhist philosophy and meditation, and visiting monasteries and temples and trying to meditate and. Mm. Um, you're getting deep into it. This is getting kind of the... very deep. Yeah, just spending too much. And this was, it was so great. I, I, I feel so bad that now you can't really do this. But it was the time where there wasn't just Wi-Fi everywhere. Like yeah. phones back then were flip phones. Yeah. You know, like or, there might have been smartphones, but you weren't bringing it everywhere. And right. so I was really immersed in India and was checking internet only like once every three days, maybe. Um, a little cafe, a little internet in cafe. Internet cafe, yeah, when those things were still yeah. <laughs> place to go. Uh, yeah, like five megabyte downloads. Exactly. Fees. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you pay like 30, you know, <laughs> Yo, 30 about an hour. My to, brother, you know. when he was traveling, my brother spent a lot of time in South America, and I remember getting, the up, and it was probably around that same time, he was probably similar in age, same thing, and he'd post like once a week. He'd send yeah. us an email, hey guys, I'm in the internet cafe, I've got a couple minutes. Right. Just checking Just in. checking in. Yeah. And boom, that's it. And it's great because that really allows you to go deep into reflecting on your life and really learning new things um, what about your google maps and your uber and your, yeah. your yelp reviews yeah. jeremy you i need, I need, I need <laughs> what, what fun is that man yeah. <laughs> i can't just stay in my little bubble so you're getting the full experience yeah and so by the end of the two months at this point the the last month i'm basically just staying in in meditation centers and doing that's when i started doing my first silent meditation retreats mm. so you know like 10 days of just meditation so no talking or reading or writing um and so that whole experience of spending that time reading about the philosophy and really understanding the theory of of buddhist meditation practice and coupling that with really diving deep into meditation practice and learning how to meditate uh, that was the most transformative thing because that really opened my eyes to the fact that all of my suffering was my own creation. Mm. Of course, bad things happen. You know, you stub your toe or right. somebody says something mean, but suffering is something that you're creating with how you're relating to the experience. So it just opened my eyes completely. And what's that first... 10-day silent meditation retreat like how much do you struggle through it what do what are some epiphanies oh, that you come awful. away with I, I was it was you struggle so much yeah, yeah. well okay, so maybe for for someone who wants to get into it yeah um even myself like how what are some recommendations for a newbie going on your first week-long 10-day yeah. three-day whatever retreat any advice i think what really helped me out well I mean, I struggled a lot in my first couple of retreats, uh, in part because I didn't really understand what I was doing. And so if I were to give some advice, I would say is really understand why you're going in and what you're doing and understand that it's not about being super concentrated. Hmm. And instead of like trying to be concentrated or trying to focus, 
see if you can try to be kind and gentle. Mm. So instead of thinking of like 10 days where I'm going to be concentrated or focused, say 10 days where I'm going to be kind to myself. Interesting. Because that's what's much more important in our meditation practice is how you're relating to yourself, how you're judging your experience or not judging it. That's it. Yeah, I feel like my previous misconception too is that it's, you have to, a kind of typical American way to approach things too is trying to go into it with some forced outcome on the end yeah. of becoming enlightened or yeah. whatever it is rather than just being like, let me just go experience the experience yeah. for that. Yeah. And so in those three months um, that you're in India and you're traveling, you're seeing these, these different places, does that sort of plant in the back of your mind this is maybe something that I want to get into deeper, like, or is it Whoa, still one hundred percent? Really? Yeah, so, yeah. so it wasn't in the back of my mind. This, this <laughs> at this point, at Friend Center. Okay, yeah. so this was, I mean, it was like a real. I hate. I don't hate the word, but I don't use the word spiritual a lot. Yeah. But this was. It was a spiritual awakening. I mean, it was me tapping into a spiritual side that I had never experienced before because I was a complete atheist. Yeah. You know scientists you know no focus on mental health or wellness or right if anything and this gets back to what we we're talking about in the beginning anything that even sounded remotely spiritual i was turned off by it i was like oh this is just you know emotional woo woo yeah. nonsense wow so this is the first one that kind of made sense yeah for you and then you end up having to leave to go back to start this program yeah and are you, how are you feeling about it at this point? At this point, I'm loving it because uh, I have a path now and I have a practice. You know, I have my meditation practice. And so while I was in grad school, I was just completely devoted to my meditation practice simultaneously. So oh, I was meditating wow. every day and leading meditations for my fellow graduate students. Oh, wow. Um, so, so it was all going well. From grad school on, life you know it's just been a, has been a lot better yeah oh yeah and at this point where are you with all the addictions and the cravings of mm. both porn and and the academic success yeah. at this point so i would say the academic success faded away uh, the addiction to it faded mm. away is that I, I was so cognizant of the fact that it was an issue that i would see it popping up of mm. course you still it's fine to want to be successful to set an aspiration to be a good scientist or to do well in your courses but i wasn't i wasn't crushed by hmm. you know not being the best right um and then also the the pornography addiction completely like when i went to india i actually spent the full time there basically um without having masturbated at all so it was like 60 days Wow. Um, and that was the first, that was completely life-changing, uh, being able to do that. And, and from then, I just realized when I went there how toxic pornography was. Hmm. I, just, I wish somebody had told me earlier on how toxic it is for your brain, you know, what it does to you. Um, but I had to find out the hard way, and, and that's the way it is. And so, Jeremy, now with people's... Um, thinking of it as sort of any drug is it something that you you can use in moderation or is it something that is uh, for you like that is the be all end all it's zero or nothing like how for me it's zero or nothing i do think it's not an evil thing and i think some people can use it in moderation and be fine i think that 
the number of people or the percentage of people that can use it without negative consequences is probably quite low. Mm. And if you think you're one of those people, you're probably deluding yourself <laughs> or just not really aware of what it's doing to yeah. your life and to your mind. I think for most guys, it's very harmful. Um, but I do know that there, there are a lot of interesting studies on it. And yeah. there are some interesting things about whether how you relate to it can affect whether it has a negative impact. So if you're, if you're not ashamed of it at all and you just see it as completely normal and natural, it actually becomes less harmful, mm. which is interesting. Um, but in general, I think it's the risks of it. Uh, and, and I know for me, the actual detrimental effects are so powerful that for me, it's just something I'm not... You just have to abstain from. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Does do you ever get those urges? Oh, all so, the time. And so, if, yeah. is that that's part of the, um, I guess, like you said, of also with the meditation is having the awareness to recognize when it happens yeah. that that is what that's the feeling. You say, oh, that's the feeling for that. So it's time to go on a walk, or it's time yeah. to meditate, or and figure some shit out. Like, so so you go exercise. So you're able to actually have. You, you just recognize the feeling now exactly. and then can deal with it. Yeah. Dope. Yeah. And at this point then when you are starting that PhD program, is are you able to already have the handle on it like yeah. that? Okay. Yeah. Dope. So Yeah, that I mean that a couple months in India just were just really changed really everything. transformative. Yeah. Wow. And so how long were you in the PhD program for? Uh I was in the PhD program for about four and a half years. For four and a half. Yeah. And how long was the program? Was it a six-year program? Seven the average years? was six and a half. Six and a half. So I still had another two years. You then. had another two years. What were those first four years like, and what was the deciding factor to leave? Yeah. So for the people who don't know my backstory, I, I left my PhD program. Um, after four years, which is yeah. that's like people's entire undergrad. Yeah, 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 definitely. That you were doing the genetics thing. And yeah. what were those four years like? They were fantastic. Um, really great. Like, I enjoyed the lab I was in. So I joined a lab studying plant genetics and developmental biology hmm. and kind of this small field called systems biology. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I liked my professor. I liked my, my committee. Uh, life in Durham was great. I had a lot of friends just like before. I was active, you know, rock climbing and yoga. Uh, life was, was great. What sparked the... So why the did lead? I leave? Yeah. yeah. So while I was in graduate school, while I was a PhD student, I was so passionate about meditation that I just started teaching it to my fellow graduate students and other undergrads um, and was, had been teaching it for about four years uh, from the moment I, I got to Duke, basically. Oh, wow. Um, at first, it was just me leading you know, some morning meditations and then it started developing into me kind of co-teaching the, the Buddhist community at Duke mm. uh, with the chaplain. And what I realized at some point is that I was just, I was so much more passionate about meditation and mindfulness and, and wellness and mental health than I was about the science I was doing. And in part, it's because, you know, I was doing science because I wanted to help the world. So I was studying plant genetics to hope Hopefully we could, you know, transform agriculture mm. and create more drought-resistant crops and all these things because I wanted to improve the world. 
But I realized that if we couldn't take care of people's craving or their hatred or anger, if we couldn't, you know, fix these real core issues, then it didn't matter how much food we have. Like, we already have enough food. It's just we can't, we're too greedy, so yeah. we don't give it out to everyone. Right now, there's enough food for everyone on the planet to eat, completely, you know, fill their bellies. But we have so much food waste and so much excess and so much greed, especially in Western countries. Right. So I realized that, you know, what I was doing wasn't that important. And I was more interested in teaching people how to really understand their mind and really wake up from these, you know, just being kind of a, a zombie mm -hmm. or a slave to your craving. And that sounds a lot easier, I think, than mm -hmm. it is mm -hmm. to quit a PhD program from Duke mm -hmm. to jump into a mindfulness teaching, you yeah, know, yeah. especially with a mom who's a professor. Yeah, like, right, like, right. like, well, and it wasn't jumping into a mindfulness teaching, it was jumping into unemployment. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was like, that's a pretty, it's, it sounds easy now because you're out here, you're doing your damn yeah. thing, but like at the time when there's no, yeah. pat, like, how do you tell your colleagues? How do you yeah. tell your friends and family? Yeah. What's, what's in the back of your mind that you're going to do with it? Yeah, so I, I had been having the feeling like, hey, you know, I, I think science might not be the right thing for me in the long term, and I want to do something more holistic with, with wellness or meditation. Uh, so I'd been thinking about that for maybe a year before something happened. And fortunately, my friend had this idea, and he said, hey, you know, I my f couple friends and I are thinking of opening this tea house and it's going to be just like a community space. There's going to be, mm. you know, a bookshop and poetry readings and spoken word and, you know, like, uh, I forget they called it like an infinity space or something mm. weird. Um, and I, th I was really turned on by it. I thought I was like, that's the coolest idea. Um, and I just wanted to support them. I said, you know, if, if I can support in any way, let me know. That sounds like an amazing idea. And, and a few months went by and they were kind of, nothing was really happening with the idea. And one summer I was just on retreat, uh, on one of these silent meditation retreats. And I, just the thought came into my mind, like, why don't I open a tea house and use it as a space where I can teach people meditation? You know, have like a yoga space and a meditation room and it will be just like a community space where my whole life can be just devoted to making tea for people and, and teaching them about meditation. Mm. Um, and so I got in touch with my friends who kind of had that initial idea and I was like, are you guys doing this? Are you doing this? Like, I really want to want to get involved, want to do it. And they weren't really doing it. So I, was, I just said, fuck it, I'm doing it. And so within the span of like a month uh, over the summer, I learned everything about tea started what? getting in shipments from from china and japan from tea and, and started a tea company and um called it sangha tea house sangha is the the poly or sanskrit word for community wow um, and you find like you found a space for it and everything? no 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 i was just selling at farmers markets oh um, but i created the the company and was like okay here's our plan we, i want to open up this community space um and and so i did that during a summer uh, but then I was still in the PhD program and so for about six months I did both of them where I was a PhD student doing my research plus running this like little tea company selling at farmers markets wow um, 
I wasn't really doing that much research. Like, I was telling <laughs> yeah. my... Yeah, I was kind of um, slacking off. It, but um, you kind of knew your priorities yeah, at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, and you were rocking a serious beard at this point. I remember seeing yeah, those photos. Yeah, yeah. You had a really dope, big, bushy yeah, beard. Yeah, you had the, the cool hats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. Like, I was like, I like this look for you. That was the tea house. Yeah. Jeremy. That was the tea house, Jeremy. Tea house, Jeremy. And so... Yeah. Level 40. Pokemon. Level 40, baby. We yeah. coming for it. Um... Hit points up to 120. You yeah, feel yeah, me? Yeah. Uh, so, how does that make the transition then after those first six months to selling, hustling the tea? Yeah. And yeah, research. at some point, my my PI, my professor, he 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 knew I was doing this all the time. You know, I, I wasn't behind his back or anything. Um, and I had my own fellowship, my own scholarship funds from the National Science Foundation. So I wasn't like wasting his research okay, money. Okay, cool. Um, but at some point, he asked me like how many hours a week am I actually doing science and how much am I doing this tea house? Um, and I was honest with him. I said, you know, maybe about 10 hours a week um, just because my mind wasn't in it. And he looked a little shocked and kind of smiled and he's like, you might want to think about, you know, about, I think he even had the idea of me taking a leave of absence from the program and trying out the, the tea house. Um, and so I did. So I took a, a year-long leave of absence mm. from my program, which I could then rejoin at the right. end of the year if I wanted, um, where I was just going to focus on the tea uh, company. And after a few months, I just realized I was done with academia. So um, Be- was it because you were having so much fun in the tea, selling the yeah, tea. Yeah, I or? just realized I, I didn't care about being a scientist. I still love science, and I think science is is wonderful and i'm glad people are scientists but i didn't want to be a scientist yeah i didn't want to sit in the lab and and do research that i wasn't that passionate about and what i was really passionate about was talking to people about meditation yeah talking to people about mindfulness and taking care of their mind how's the tv business doing at this point it was doing fine like it was doing it was supporting me um so i did it for two years uh in just selling it farmers markets and I started selling in hotels and stores around town and so you start running this little tea business yeah are you like running Facebook ads type of stuff yeah, or is yeah, it, yeah all sorts of so, marketing so, okay so you're getting you're, you're getting, getting your, entrepreneurial you're getting entrepreneurial yeah, in this yeah. aspect okay that's fascinating yeah. so how does the tea stuff kind of end up coming to an end yeah so um wow this I got so many things that happened <laughs> in my life um so it was going well for, for two years, and we were still looking for a space to open up, like a brick and mortar. And we were getting close. Like, you know, I had actually even started talks with a bank about getting a loan to actually buy this building. Uh, and one summer, I was in Taiwan and Japan doing some tea sourcing. And when I was there, I just realized how much fun I was having traveling, and I just realized if I were to do the tea company, it would mean really staying in North Carolina for the next 15 many years. years yeah. yeah. And I just realized I wasn't ready to, to stay in North Carolina for the rest of my kind of young adult life. Yeah. And that I wanted to travel again. And also it was realizing that the reason I started the tea company was because I wanted to teach people about meditation. But a lot of it had become just the logistics of running a business. Which is, yeah, yeah. hard, so much in itself. Right. And so I realized... I just wanted to focus on teaching meditation. And so when I got back to North Carolina, I sold the business and um, decided to to just kind of see where the wind would take me. 
Wow. And were you able to make a decent profit from selling it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that could then support your travels? A bit, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't a whole lot. I mean, it wasn't like you know some tech company uh, going public. Yeah, I'm seeing. I'm thinking like Tim Ferriss selling his no, like no, his no, like no, no, no. his no, ingestibles. No, this was a small, you know, like kind of. But it, it's still enough to get you that the jump. Yeah, the it, it was enough point. to like give me some, you know, financial runway to to explore for a little bit. And where's the first place you go when you have the when you have the freedom to to jump into it? Yeah, so I. Packed up all my stuff, sold everything I owned except for my car, and was going to take a, or I did take a cross-country road trip from North Carolina all the way over to California, um, just to see the states. I had never really had the time to go slow and, yeah. and see the U.S. Uh, and so I was doing this cross-country road trip and ended up meeting up with my mom in New Mexico. Um, she just wanted to join me, so she came to New Mexico when I was there, and and while we were there, she was like, oh, have you thought about teaching abroad? I was like, yeah, I guess, maybe. And, and she knows I love Thailand, like Thai food, and um, it's a Buddhist country, which I love. So she's like, well, what about like Thailand? And I said, maybe. So we just went online and searched, I think we just searched international school, Thailand, just to see what was there. Because I have a science degree, so I was thinking maybe I could teach science in a school. Right. So we clicked on this link it was the american school of bangkok and on the very front page of the website was they had a mindfulness program at this school so this was like my mom and i were just shooting the shit and she's like oh maybe you should look into that so i just opened up web browser and clicked on it and to me that was just like i don't believe in signs from the universe but it was just like okay i gotta follow this yeah uh and so i just sent them an email and said hey I, you know i teach meditation um if you need any help if you're interested you know i'd love to get involved in your program teaching mindfulness in schools and within like a day they had sent me a reply and within two days i had a skype meeting with the director and within a week i had sold my car and was flying off to thailand wow yeah that is crazy you're like thanks mom yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, so then you, you come out to Thailand, this first yeah. time out here in Bangkok. Yeah. You go to the school, yeah. the mindfulness school. For how long are you at the school for? So I stayed there for one year. For a one-year program? Yeah. And was it like everything that you always wanted? Like, because you get to like learn about mindfulness and teaching? Or is it kind of... Not really. I mean, um, it, was, it was a great stepping stone, and I'm glad I did it. But I also realized that what I'm passionate about is teaching adults. Um, mm. Just because... This stuff is so deep and so transformative, and it's great for kids. You know, mindfulness in schools is fantastic, and teaching it to kids is so powerful. But what I'm good at is it's actually teaching adults. teaching adults, and that's where I feel most alive. Yeah, I get to talk about you know the real the shit. science and the the deepness of it. And where does the the mindfulness company come into this? That oh, untangling the mind. Oh, not even untangling because that's your company, right? Yeah, yeah. What about the? Uh, didn't you work for a mindfulness startup? Oh, oh, simple habit. Yes, in San Francisco. Right. Okay, so yeah, that's later on. That's, that's later on. Pokemon level fifty. That's Pokemon level fifty. Yeah, okay. Evolving again. So, so you're in Bangkok. I didn't realize you go back to the states. Yeah. Then I went. So after a year in Bangkok, I went back to San Francisco because I got this job at a meditation app startup to be their kind of mindfulness person uh, ah. to work with the teachers and to do their meditation things gotcha yeah so i moved back to san francisco and is that simple habit that's simple habit okay yeah and then at that point that's when you're like i actually want to do my own thing yeah 
That's what, and not just do my own thing, but I don't want to be in the U.S. Yeah. That was like... After spending a month or a year out here. Yeah, after spending a year in Thailand and then going back to San Francisco for four months, I was just like, it's cool, but not my thing. What? It's interesting how sometimes the traveling, the trek can make that such a drastic... Yeah. It gives you the perspective like very clearly. Yeah. What was it about San Francisco that... that made you want to come back to Thailand or what was it about Thailand that made you not want to live in San Francisco? The biggest thing for me is the, the value system. Um, in San, I mean, San Francisco is so beautiful in so many ways. Uh, you know, beautiful weather and, and wonderful people and, you know, very forward thinking in a lot of ways and good food and all these things. But I realized that it was very hedonistic. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of it is about kind of like pleasure seeking, or, yeah. um, or especially in San Francisco now, the tech industry. And so there's a lot of money there and it's a lot of like, what's your status? Right. Where do you work? What company? You Who at? do you know? Who do you know? Yeah. And I really just missed the kind of gentle humbleness of Thailand. Mm. You know, the people here are so friendly and so not concerned with like um just like all that kind of greedy stuff yeah um, it never you never wanted to move back and stay in like india after no india is a little too crazy for me because it was too much yeah it's a little bit too much yeah. it, but bang but i did want to come back to thailand to possibly ordain or you know become a monk for a little while and but thailand just felt like the right fit oh totally yeah Okay, because having that travel bug, I know sometimes you're like, oh, where, do I go here? Yeah, here, it wasn't where? like a travel bug. It wasn't like I want to explore new places. It, it was like I want to be settled. I want to live somewhere, but I want to live in a place where I love right for the me. community. Yeah, dude, that makes so much sense because it's such a strong Buddhist, yeah, connection here. Yeah, and how, what, why Chiang Mai compared to Bangkok? Oh, I mean, Chiang Mai is just wonderful. Like uh, I'm sure you know, but. Uh, uh, for the people listening on the earth. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's a slower pace of life. It's more friendly, less hectic. Um, cost of living is better. It's a little more conservative than Bangkok too. So, you know, it's not as like uh, seedy mm-hmm. as Bangkok. Um, and it, it has this real strong sense of community, which I like, you know. Did you, when you knew you were going to come back to Thailand, mm-hmm. did you, were your sights on Chiang Mai at that point? Or no, no. How did you end up finding out about Chiang Mai? And yeah, when I came back to Thailand, I, I was thinking, hey, I just want to go be a monk for a little while. So I wanted to just stay at monasteries and, and practice meditation and um, spend some time really deepening my own practice. And where did you do that? So at? that I went to Myanmar, to Burma. Oh, okay. Because um, so I, I saw I the pictures through. with all the, you know, you're, in the monk, you're doing the monk thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, another Pokemon. Another Pokemon. It's <laughs> yeah. another stage. Yeah. And how how long did you do that for? Just a month. Oh. So I did a like a month long silent retreat. So like it was, uh, it was actually three weeks of no talking or reading or writing, just meditating. Oh wow! It was during that time that I ordained. And in the Burmese tradition, you can you don't have to ordain for your full life. You can ordain for two weeks. And it's oh, cool. Yeah. So that way you could you ordained three weeks. Yeah. Did your thing and then. And then. Uh, realized so on my way to Myanmar I'd stopped in Chiang Mai for a few days and gotcha. just after I was done being a monk I was like hey I just want to go back to Chiang Mai so I came back here and 
said, okay, maybe I'll stay for a couple of weeks. And now it's been nine months. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. And so how, now that you, you're back, you end up in Chiang Mai, you, you are ready to do the, the mindfulness thing. How does, how do you transition that into generating income, into starting your business, untangling the mind? Now that I'm really heavy into this entrepreneur space too, yeah, you know, start yeah. with my music stuff. I realize how much work goes into it, how hard it is, yeah. how, how are you able to kind of get that going to, yeah. to sustain you out here? Yeah. Um, it's a really good question and I don't really know the answer, but <laughs> it's, it's a process. Just, yeah. It's just like one foot in front of the other. It's just step by step. Um, for me, it's just about putting out, you know, just being there for people. Yeah. So just doing meditation saying, Hey, you know, we've got this meditation group. Um, you know, if you want to come, you can come. If you want to leave a donation, you can leave a donation. I do some coaching, like one-on-one -on -one coaching, mm. um, uh, but it's not a big part of my of my day or my income. Um, so, and and so yeah. tell people a little bit about the you know the entangling the mind your your business now and the, your classes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, one of the cool things that I've started doing is doing some online courses and teaching. And you're killing online. it, man! I saw those those ratings. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's what I saw is when I was looking on these platforms and looking at their meditation courses, just the, the quality wasn't there. And I knew that, you know, people need a, a better introduction to meditation and people who really want to learn the basics. They want to learn the fundamentals that, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? Not just somebody sitting there telling you what to do. Yeah. And so I was really motivated to put something out there because I knew that I could you know, be of service in a good way and put something out there that people would find useful. So I created this course, uh, Mindfulness Made Easy, and it's really, it's done really well and people really like it. Um, That's a huge, there's a huge market for, for info products and selling courses yeah, out here. Like, yeah. I, I know that people, that's their, their full income is yeah. just from, you have, you some you sometimes, or you did realize, but I think a lot of times folks don't that you have skills or you have so much to offer yeah. that other people will pay you money for to learn. Yeah. That to you now doing mindfulness and practicing it, you really wanted to inspire others. So that was always kind of on your mind. But now, since it's such a habitual thing for you, you probably might not even realize how much of like a mindfulness Jedi you are, you know what I mean? Compared yeah. to, but it could be any skill really, you yeah. know? And it's not like, in t it wasn't until I came out here that I realized how much of a skill English is. Just mm. knowing, you know, it can be yeah, something as yeah. simple as that. Yeah. And so um, if folks are interested, you know, wh where, do you, where do you host your classes? I know some are on Udemy, yeah. right? And were you ever thinking of transitioning that into like, um, like a blog or a website or anything yeah. like that? What's well, yeah, so I have a blog. Okay, and I have perfect. A website. Um, so you could go to untanglingthemind.com. Oh, and I'll link that in the show notes. Yeah. If, awesome. if you if you want to hop on that. Yeah. Okay. And so what when you sort of have the vision for it, um, what does, even though I know we're not supposed to have cravings, mm -hmm. but if we're craving you a little. You can have aspirations. Okay. So, so we, this is a big thing that a lot of people think, okay, well, if you're not supposed to have craving, we just like be a zombie and yeah. sit back and let people walk all over you. It's totally fine to set aspirations, set goals. Okay. But it's about learning when it becomes a craving. That's mm. when you become addicted to it, when you have an expectation for how it's going to turn out. Okay. So there's, there's some subtlety there, but understanding the difference is powerful. Because I think that, that makes a big difference for me, is yeah. thinking about it. And, and having... 
I used to set much more specific and strict goals until I would not reach them and then feel shitty about it. And I was like, this is having a not positive effect on, well, you know, so now I'll be like, I'll set aspirations and sort of things that that I'm I'm shooting for, but also allowing different elements to come in. Those, I'm I'm more flexible with those visions. And so with yours, what would, um, what would the business the ideal business look like for you model? Are you still teaching classes one-on-one? Is it a full online coaching program? Mm. Or do you run a monastery? Like mm. what, what's sort of the, the vision for you? Yeah, I mean, I love doing all of those things, so it's kind of hard to choose. Um, I do envision a lot more online courses cool. because I love being able to reach people all over the exactly. world. It's been great seeing you know, people from all different countries writing in and saying how much they like in the course. So that's been really cool of, of seeing the reach, the potential of Internet, online courses. Internet, man, yeah. yeah. Um, but then, you know, I, st- I love the in-person work, uh, the meditation groups we have here in Chiang Mai, and I just, I feel that connection with people really deepening their practice. Mm. So doing more in-person, you know, coaching and, and leading retreats. So, you know, we have a, a four-day silent retreat coming up uh, in Chiang Mai. And so doing more things like that, doing silent retreats yes. that people can come to and really deepen their practice. For people that, that want to jump into it, um, des- describe a little bit what, what the, the silent retreat entails yeah. and, and how people could can get involved. Yeah. Well, if you're in Chiang Mai, you can definitely come on this one, which is great. Um, but what a, what a silent retreat is, is you're basically the whole time. So it's a four-day retreat. You're spending these four days of undertaking what's called noble silence, which is not communicating in any way, but really going inward and just experiencing your life directly. So you you give up your phone, you're not checking internet, you're not reading or writing or talking with other people, but really just being in the moment. And the daily schedule is you're basically just doing a lot of sitting and walking and sitting and walking and then eating and you might have a break. it's a very simple schedule, but the whole time you're practicing mindfulness. So just being aware of what's going on in your experience. Mm. Um, it's a really powerful thing to do, spending a few days of just going inward, being with yourself, not kind of bringing in all the things we distract ourselves with. And are you going through this experience with other people around? or yeah. Okay, but you just don't engage with them. Exactly. So in any retreat, there might be 20 or 30 or 50 people, um, depending on the size of the retreat center. And you're all doing it together, and it's very structured. There's a, a, a schedule that you're following. Oh. So you know, at 7 a.m. you do this, 8 a.m. you do this. So you're following the schedule. Everything is laid out for you and mapped out. Gotcha. Everything's cooked for you. You don't have to take care of anything. Oh, wow. And so all you're doing is following the schedule. You're sitting for a little bit. You're walking for a little bit. You have breakfast. Then you sit a little more, walk a little more. Um, and there are some guided instructions throughout the day. Okay. So people really learn what, what to do. That's what I was going to ask, too. So yeah. you're there to kind of help. Exactly. You help guide people through this experience. Yeah. So there were... Each day there's a few different sittings where there's instructions, but uh, a lot of it is just time to really practice the instructions. Wow. Yeah. Um, man. It's tough. It's the toughest thing I've ever done. It sounds like it, yeah. but I also feel like it's probably incredibly rewarding. It's also the most rewarding thing I've ever done. <laughs> hey. yeah. Jay, I, I appreciate you giving me so much time, and I want to get you out of here. Um, 
back to back to doing your thing. But yeah. I'm curious, do you ever miss the science? Um, yeah, sometimes. Uh, for me, meditation is an extension of science. Mm. You know, it's the science of the mind. It's the science of understanding how you're experiencing the world. And so, to me, I still feel like a scientist. I'm just a scientist of my own mind, yeah. my own experience. Uh, what I miss is sometimes just the, you know, the hallowed halls of academia. Yeah. You know, just the, the respect and the... The resources. The resources and, and, you know, some really intelligent minds. It's fun to get a little conceptual and intellectual sometimes. Um, but overall, I don't miss it that much. <laughs> Dude, yeah. you're out here killing it doing yeah. mindfulness of trees riding a motorbike around like doing muay thai it seems like you're eating, eating good food i feel like yeah, yeah you, you've got you got to figure it out yeah life in chiang mai is wonderful it's i was thinking about today i was like oh man where should i go next and then i kept looking around i was like oh but i kind of just want to stay here yeah, <laughs> like it's yeah. almost i feel bummed that i came here first because now i'm like right. all these are places i don't really want to yeah. go to yeah. but i guess i can go have the adventures and always come back yeah but um it's a special place man yeah special place jay Thank you so much for coming yeah, on. Yeah, thank you, man. It's yeah. been a pleasure, pleasure coming here and chatting with you. Man, and, and thank you so much for being so open and honest about everything. I yeah. think that in itself gives up people a lot of perspective. Mm. To It's when you talk about the shit that you're struggling with that a lot of other people are just don't aren't willing to talk about sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That I've found for me, listening to interviews of different people has been unbelievably eye-opening. Yeah. I'll be like, oh, wait. Kanye West is insecure too or right, like right. so-and-so yeah. doesn't love their own you know like yeah. it, it's just we all got struggles 100% no matter what level you are you're still human yeah. so dude thanks so much and folks if you want to connect with Jay I'll do all this stuff in uh, in the show notes are you on Instagram and on all that Instagram, stuff yeah. Instagram Facebook the the website if you want to check out their retreat I'll link that too come check it out fuck my man Jeremy thank you again yeah thank you alright peace out thank you for tuning in uh, see you next week <laughs> <laughs>